This is Tony Stevens, the Director of Development for the American Council of the Blind. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to what has been a wonderful past three days. We're coming up to the end very soon. And I'm just making sure I got everything here set up. So bear with me one second while I just check microphone and all that stuff. But bear, uh, hold fast real quick, and we'll see if other two panelists that are going to, this is going to be very much a conversation. Uh, we're going to be having two other members uh, of ACB joining us, Brian Charlson and Jeff Bishop. Jeff and Brian, are you either of you here right now? Brian is here. Brian, good I afternoon. Am, and I'm here as Jeff. well. Welcome, Jeff and Brian, what we're going to be talking about today as well as technology accessibility and in terms of creating what is a bill of rights, if you will. Uh, it's something that we've been uh, brainstorming some ideas around with the American Council of the Blind and Diabetics in Action affiliate. Uh, Chris Gray, the president of that affiliate, cannot join us right now. He is out of, uh, out of the grid, so to speak, off, offline for a little while um, and traveling. So uh, Chris is unable to join us, but we do have two uh, very experts when it comes to both intimate experience and diabetes, as well as the same with technology, our, our past and present chair of the Information Access Committee. Thank you both gentlemen. Uh, I'll let you both say hello now. We'll start off uh, on the West Coast and start going from left to right. Uh, although I don't know if your uh, images are left or right on the screen right now, but uh, hey, Jeff, is it still, it's not morning, it's afternoon now. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon, everybody. And for yeah. folks who don't know Jeff, uh, he's the current chair for IAC and your employer you, by, by underdog by night with uh, information access and by day you're with? Uh, Microsoft, working the on the uh, Windows accessibility team, working on Narrator. And, and fantastic work there for the whole Microsoft team. Uh, be excited to see what's going on over the summer. Uh, our former chair of IAC, uh, who is far from, it's about as far as you can get from the West Coast, maybe a little bit further that you would be in Maine, um, but where it is much more wintry, I imagine, still up in up in Waterton, Massachusetts. But hey, Brian, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you very much. It how are things up, up still, New England way? Still snow on the ground, but it is currently raining and 48 degrees. Ooh, so there's pretty, hope a, that, yeah. that that is white or once was white out there will have faded into a distant memory. But we do have weather coming through in the next couple of days that might put a little white back on the ground. That's one oh, well, of the toys of living having, in England, though. I'm not, I'm not complaining as long as I'm not shoveling. Yeah, you're having Washington weather. Yeah. yeah well, see, Cold I was originally rain. a West Coast boy. I lived and grew yeah. up in Oregon. So yeah, my family right. out mm -hmm. in Oregon have been out of power for 10 days now oh my gosh. as a wow. result of something called Silver Thaw, where it freezes rain on top of snow that then partly melts and then refreezes and then brings down power lines and all that kind of fun stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, it hasn't been that bad for, well, since back when I lived back there uh, more than 30 years ago. Well, thanks both for joining. Uh, for those that have been involved with some of our technology, you're, you're very familiar with Brian and Jeff. Um, even most recently when we did, uh, you know, I had a chance to speak on Sunday about our health and wellness, our get up and get moving campaign. And, you know, one of the things that was very much uh, exciting, uh, it was uh, run by um, uh, the, the Vista Center out in, uh, in the San Jose in the Valley, Silicon Valley. Uh, and they focused on uh, tight. It was a site, site tech global conference, 
Mm-hmm. And we had a chance to debut our Get Up and Get Moving. And, and both of our gentlemen were there today. Um, and both have had amazing stories of, uh, of overcoming their diabetes and really taking back their health. That's what the whole focus of the Get Up and Get Moving is, is finding ways that we can leverage technology to take back our health. And what we'll be talking about today, and, and I'm going to give the floor to Jeff and Brian, just to share just a minute or two, really, of, of uh, the, the amount of energy that you both had to put in was pretty intense, both physical and emotional, uh, mm-hmm. to reach your goals and to move where you were able to take back your health. Um, we know that those luxuries aren't available to everybody. Um, and you can check out the, the site Tech Global, you know, Brian and, and, and Jeff gave greater detail. It's on our YouTube page, that conference. Uh, and that session that we did, the Get Up and Get Moving session. But, you know, you both gave uh, such wonderful stories. I wonder if you could just give a, a synopsis of that and, and then leading into that or after that, I should say, what we'd like to do then is be able to open up, and this is for the host, um, we'll be having you work a little. Who's our host today? Who, who can I give a shout out to? to our Lucy Edmonds. Hey, Hi, Tony. Lucy. Hey, good to hear your voice. We're going to make you, you work in a few minutes. So hold fast, <laughs> Lucy. Um, what I'd like to do is for folks, we're going to be asking folks to, to weigh in in conversations. This meeting is being recorded and the information here will actually help us in putting together a bill of rights. We have a rough draft of some things that the president, Chris Gray, put together from Diabetics in Action. Uh, but, you know, we're looking towards a roadmap that we can have uh, for our brothers and sisters with diabetes. For me, um, I don't have it. I've, I've wrestled with my weight and my health and I'm nervous because it runs in my family and uh, had very much experience from my family with having diabetes. Uh, so no stranger uh, instance to that world. Um, but, you know, as we, as we come out of isolation and we try to find ways, we know technology is critical for that. And so making sure that we have a, a technical bill of rights, if you will, for uh, Americans with diabetes that have vision is critical. Uh, success stories. I, I love stories with a happy ending. Uh, but I know it took a lot of drama to get there. Um, Brian, let's start with you, uh, if we can, and talk a little bit about, because um, you you found out later in life about diabetes, that you had it, type 2, I believe. And, uh, you know, what it was like when you found out, and then uh, the work that you've been able to put in, and how technology's leveraged those opportunities to really reach your goals and, and take back your health. Thank you, Tony. I understand that, like you, I have diabetes that runs in my family. Both of my grandparents, both my grandfathers died of complications of diabetes. Uh, But I really didn't experience my own personal diabetes story until I was in my late 50s, uh, like 58, 59 years of age. I went to my regular annual physical with my doctor and they did the usual blood work. And they said, oh, by the way, you are now a type two diabetic something I was simply not aware of until that blood test came in. And uh, they said, you're going to need to uh, take your blood sugar on a regular basis uh, and take some medication. Right now, we'll start you with oral medication, but we may need to move you to uh, an injectable medication regimen. And because we don't know how you as a blind person are going to go about doing this, we're going to extend to you an offer we don't make to others. And that is that you can come in here twice a day and get your blood sugar taken. And I said, excuse me, I, I think I think you, I must've misheard you. You really don't expect any individual to come to a health clinic twice a day to get their blood sugar checked because they're a blind person, do you? Now, remember I live in Watertown, Massachusetts, the home of the Perkins School for the Blind. There are more blind people living in this community than live in any other community of its size. 
So they should have been aware of this some time ago. So they said, well, I don't know what to tell you. The, the glucose monitors that we give our patients are not accessible. And I said, well, I know they do exist because I work at a place called the Carroll Center for the Blind and Adult Rehabilitation Agency. And so I work with professionals in the field of blindness. So I know they exist. Well, do you think you could get yourself one? And my response was, well, let me think. The last HMO, HMO payment I meant, made suggested that you were the party that were supposed to be the experts. So I will tell you they exist, but I'm not going to uh, go out there and do that on your behalf. Well, eventually they did come up with the Prodigy unit. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a moment, I suppose. Um, and I did work with the diabetes educator through the Carroll Center for the Blind. And we created some online courses in how to self-manage your diabetes care as a blind or visually impaired person. And we expanded that eventually onto family members who need to work with a blind family member. And for that matter, healthcare professionals who need to know more about what being a blind person and having diabetes have to do with one another. I then was offered an opportunity to meet with a dietitian about things. And I showed up at her office and she was there with her regular song and dance, which included an inch thick stack of print documents she was going to give me, having never thought about whether or not I could access them. And with a number of ideas on how I could change my diet, all based about having a certain quantity of this and a certain quantity of that and, and pulling out some measuring devices, none of which were accessible. So it, it did startle me a bit that the medical profession wasn't ready for me, although I was in need of them. That changed fairly quickly um, as my diabetes became a bit more acute. And as I had the opportunity to, through being educated by this effort to create the online courses, but also talking to other blind people who also had diabetes, that I was introduced to, uh, instead of poking my finger two or three times a day, uh, a device that monitors my diabetes on an ongoing constant basis. I have it right here in my right arm right now with a patch over the top of it to get make it extra secure. It lasts on my arm for a couple of weeks. And at any time I can run my iPhone across it and it will automatically tell me what my blood sugar is at this moment. But it also monitors the trends in my blood sugar. So utilizing that information, I was made acutely aware of what I was doing and what effect it was doing on my body each time I chose to eat a, uh, a full-size sub-sandwich as opposed to something a little bit more moderate. And I was pleased that over the course of about a year, I went from 312 pounds to 237 pounds. So I lost a lot of weight. It changed my uh, blood sugar on a regular basis. And over a period of time, that wonderful three-month A1C3 count, uh, so that I dropped below seven. When I started, my count was over 12. So it was really, really valuable to me and has dramatically helped my outlook on life. There were a number of other things that I'm sure Jeff will share with you in just a moment about how so much of managing diabetes is educating yourself about it and then monitoring it on your own behalf. Jeff, let me turn it over to you. 
Okay, well, I won't repeat a lot of what Brian talked about because our stories are, are somewhat similar. I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes uh, in 2002, I believe. Uh, it was either one or two. Uh, I think two. Um, my, my mother uh, was diabetic and actually died in, in 1999, not from diabetes, but from other complications. And so I was acutely aware of symptoms and, you know, I mean, I knew a lot about it. And uh, I mean, I remember the day like it was yesterday, waking up in the middle of the night, not being able to quench my thirst. I mean, I literally drank a uh, entire gallon of water uh, over that period of the night and still uh, couldn't quench my thirst. So I immediately got on the phone, went to um, the, the doctor, got, the doctor got me in immediately. They just did a finger stick and uh, my blood sugar was 300. And then they did a, a, a glucose tolerance test the next day and my blood sugar shot over a thousand and they almost put me in the hospital. My A1C was 13.6 at that time. And I'm, I'm actually lucky to be uh, alive. Now, the, the interesting thing is um, that about two months prior to that, I had a full physical and went to the seeing eye to get my uh, get a guide dog. And all that blood work came back fine. So uh, it, it can tell you how quickly they said it was slightly elevated, but not acutely. And so I didn't think too much about it. And when I got home about a month later, a month and a half later, uh, things dramatically changed. I, I used the VoiceMate, which was a uh, very old school glucometer in a, in a giant case. And it was not very, it was portable, but it was pretty bulky. And it was really difficult. It required quite a bit of blood to get onto the strip. And it was really, really hard to, to get really good uh, readings. And in, even with that short period of time, I already had kidney um, damage due to um, my diabetes. And when I saw a nephrologist, he said that if you don't get control of this, you'll um, either be dead or on dialysis by the age of 50. Um, so I. Uh, that's, a, that's a good bedside manners. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, he was pretty direct with me. <clears throat> and, um, so I, uh, I had always struggled with my weight, even from a very young age. I, when I was young, I was, I was pretty small. Um, in fact, I didn't gain weight and my, my parents and family members would try to, you know, get me to eat tons and tons of food, which then actually created the opposite problem. So, you know, when I got married in, uh, 88, I weighed about 220 pounds and, um, that was just the beginning. So I, I tried all kinds of things. I tried diet. I tried all, all kinds of different things. And for me, what, what I decided to do was to take a, a pretty radical approach, um, uh, of, of solving this. And I'm, I'm absolutely delighted that I did. Although I think that it's, it's really just a tool and it's the combination of getting a tool that helped me, but also motivating, motivating me because of that and the lifestyle change that truly made the difference. So when I did this, I weighed 340 pounds in uh, November of, 
uh, let's see, it's been about a year and a half now. 2019. So yeah, yeah, 2019. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was thanks. It was Thanksgiving day Eve. It was, uh, <laughs> Wednesday that I had surgery. So I spent the, that Thanksgiving in the hospital and I had a, um, I had a gastric bypass done and I went from 340 to, uh, 190. Now, um, the, the, the interesting thing about this is, is that not only did I do that, um, but I dramatically increased, uh, my change in my lifestyle, um, to the point where, you know, I'm walking six to seven miles a day, um, and, and exercising, doing both cardio and, and, and weights. Um, and I, I'm, I'm doing great. Um, my A1C with medication was, was pretty well controlled after, you know, I got it under control. That took quite a while to get under control though. But with medication, I would hover between a 5.7 and a 6, 6.1, maybe sometimes a little higher. 6.3, I think was the highest that I went with medication. Um, and now my A1C, uh, my last A1C was 5.3 which is entirely out of the diabetic range. Now you never get rid of diabetes. It's, it's something that, uh, you know, officially you'll, you'll always have that diagnosis, but uh, it's definitely in remission for me. And um, in fact, now I have the opposite problem where I'm more hyperglycemic where my blood sugar goes too low. And so that is something that I have to be very careful about. Uh, I, it's not uncommon now for my blood sugar to drop into the, you know, sixties or fifties. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's because my body has now gotten to the point where it's, it's producing too much insulin and driving numbers down. Um, if I eat, my blood sugar will go from, uh, you know, 140 down to down to 60 in, in about 30 minutes. Hmm. And, uh, so it's, it's a balancing act and there's definitely side effects for that, but it, I, I'd rather have that than going to 300. Right. Um, and we yeah. can talk about, we can talk about what's right for you versus what's right for, for myself or Brian. But the, the key principle that I want to leave everyone with though, is that you need to determine what's right for you and whether it's large or small, doing something is better than doing nothing. No question about that. And it, since we're talking about a, a step toward a uh, diabetes bill of rights, we're talking about a bill of rights from a blindness perspective. And there were many, many hurdles that I had to step over in order to get to a point where I could manage it myself. And that first one was educating my medical professionals around me, not my diabetes specialist, but rather my general practitioner. And that clinic staff, that simply not knowing how a blind person would go about this was not an acceptable answer, that they needed to invest the time and energy to become aware of what my medical needs were as a blind person with type 2 diabetes, that nutritionist needed to look at that pile of paper she was going to share with me and see if she could recommend where online I could find that same information. Uh, when it came to finding access, accessible devices to monitor my, di monitor my diabetes, uh, whether it was the simpler 
finger stick uh, glucometer or the the more modern, if you will, um, device that I'm wearing today. Whatever it was, it really was the responsibility of my healthcare provider to go beyond just the standard uh, shuffle <laughs> and really engage in helping me with my healthcare needs. Now, because I'm an advocate like you are, Jeff, I can't help but step in and start doing maybe even more than I should be expected to do as a patient when it came to these kinds of things. Uh, and I eventually did share what I discovered on my road with my healthcare provider. Uh, I eventually was assigned a diabetes specialist who was actually a pharmacist. And she was delighted to learn, utilizing my experience to be more available and more understanding and, and the like, not just for me as her patient, but for other patients within my healthcare providers network. Uh, and she became kind of a superstar in her own right as a result of that. But there are times throughout the process that I have to shake my head and say, what would happen to a person who is blind and has diabetes and is not part of the system and has other blind people to turn to for information, that kind of thing. And that's where one of these uh, documents that describes your right to have quality care, this, without respect to the fact that you're a blind person. So the first thing for me was when accessing my standard healthcare provider, I have a right to expect that they know what they're doing with me with respect to my blindness. And I would think that the second thing is that they can point me in the right direction not only to lifestyle changes, though those are the number one most important, but also not stop when they find the first talking glucose monitor, but to really become educated about what the options are to share those with me, uh, including their general accessibility. And that goes on because as you said, Jeff, diabetes doesn't stop, it is there. It's how you manage the fact that you're a diabetic that makes the big difference. So as I change from one oral medication to another, how important is it that that medication be labeled in a fashion that I can tell what it is? Because you, as a person with diabetes, frequently are taking cholesterol meds. You're taking um, the medication, oral med, maybe for your uh, blood sugar control itself. Yeah, or multiple. Uh, yeah, and you need to be yeah. able to not only know what the med is you're taking, but mm -hmm. what its side effects are. Yeah, that's exactly what right. To be careful about well, it, relative to taking this, not only by itself, but when I get up in the morning, I got a one of those pill keepers. Mm -hmm. So yeah, once a week, too. out come all of my medications. I sit at the dining room table and I dose out my pills for each day. I take some in the evening, some in the morning, and I make sure that those are all there. And I choose a pharmacy that provides my medication with braille labeling on it. Mm -hmm. Well, let's, but, let's step but in. But my doctor didn't know yeah. that was an yeah. option that I could ask. Well, most don't, most yeah. don't. And, and, and you know what's critical about that, about knowing about the side effects of your medication is most of these are, it's really critical on how you take them and when you take them. You know, before meals and after meals and what the side effects of that are. 
um, you know, you, you need to know that to be able to be educated, to be able to be effective with the, the medication that you're being given. Well, let's uh, talk about what we know, Jeff, real quick, because in the time we have about 25 minutes and I want to sure. be able to get some feedback from people, but you both have hit on something. I think that's, it's the first, you know, how we have the first amendment in our U.S. Bill of Rights. Um, this Chris, Chris Gray, who, who has drafted three primary things that are critical in whatever we sort of come together, his, his thoughts mm-hmm. are as running diabetics in action. Uh, the first is access to accessible information. Um, we need to know what we need to know. Um, yes. And and that's uh, so I've heard both of you resonate that. And I think is that is that would that be in a sense just access to information? If it's the medication, if it's the side effects, this is what you need to know about your medication, as well as I mean any of the literature. It's it's a broad based. We need to have all literature and, and things that are in information print form made accessible to us in an accessible format. Yeah. It- yeah, and that and that includes report, you know, reports that are generated from from external tools that that you're using to manage your disease as well, mm-hmm. uh, because a lot of times those are available online, mm-hmm. um, you know. So, for example, through through the LibreLink View application, you can you could go up and and actually generate reports and look exactly what your trends are, and exa- you know, what times of day are your blood sugar is spiking and it shows really cool looking graphs that if you could see are fantastic, but those things aren't accessible to us. So it's not just mm-hmm. about the literature and, and information about medication, but it's also about looking at what, where your diabetes is in the treatment regimen that you're getting done. So data is critical. Yeah, yeah When data, you go and absolutely. get that blood work done, what access do you have to that information? Well, you I will say be that, able to, to yeah. be able to see directly what those say not just seen by your doctor but seen by you as well yeah now i will say that that with since apple now allows you to import your lab data into your uh ios health app uh, a lot of that data is now fully accessible depending upon the lab that you use and and that is fantastic um well it's good and bad because then you can look at your your labs and then you can become a worry word like me. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> but, <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know if it's good or bad, but it's, well, here's at the, least it's there. At least you can be just as worried like everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, and let me run through the other two points. Uh, hold on, no, Brian, please, real quick. Please. Well, go ahead. No, Brian, go ahead real fast. I'm just saying that we keep talking about this because Jeff and I are both tech people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We are not your average blind person. No, we are not. We well, know that's where that, I wanted to go. Yeah. We are yes. not your average blind person. Right. Your average blind person is unemployed or underemployed. Yep. Yeah. Has come to blindness late in life. Right. The average I'm talking about. I know mm-hmm. there's no such thing. It's a truly average person, but that means there's a significant number of people who are coming to the world of blindness and the world of diabetes later yep. in life. So well, and I, I want to you're going to whip out your iPhone and right, link up the right. data from here to there. That. Yeah. That's spectacular for those of us who can do that. But well, not is- only that, not only that, but but you know, if you have diabetes, you're going to go to get lab work done probably four times a year, and and a lot of times the labs are not necessarily the best experience for blind people. No. Just getting uh, in and out with touch screens, just getting kiosks or, or, now and yeah, getting yeah. checked in with kiosks and and you know them not treating you like you're you know a strange individual. Yeah, uh, you know all kinds of things. Um, it's 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 tough. It's tough. 
So let me read the three points then that, that Chris has laid forward. That is the start, right? We're not at 10 yet, but I think we just added a fourth, which is going to be critical as well. So one is information. You mentioned data as well, right? We, we need to have accessible information at our, at our fingertips or ears or whatever it may be um, in a, in a well-described way as well, if it's visual. Uh, the other thing is durable medical goods, right? Brian, you talked about this with the Libre and Jeff, you as well, but that requires the iPhone, right? Um, right. So yes, accessible technology, durable and medical goods. It requires or an understanding or Android, for insurance. Right. Yeah. Yes, this is it, not yeah. the inexpensive way to get this done. Uh, it no. is not. But it is it the is accessible not. way. But when you look it at is. how much dialysis costs, I mean, the idea that this can be a, a, a step toward people taking back their health, um, then, then that, you know, we look at it as a return on investment. I know. Yes, my absolutely. Is. So, all right. So that's two. Three is... Uh, accessible um, access to things like webinars, briefings, like the online world. I would maybe yeah. lump in yeah. um, medical professionals getting into the offices, getting mm -hmm. into your uh, telemed visits. Uh, you know, yes. we need to have accessible communication that's two-way if it's a conference or if it's a visit with your doctor. So those those portals, right, our health portals right. and access to those need to be in. That's three. Um, I've heard four raised or at least alluded to um, and, and we, I know Clark is a big advocate, the Clark are director of advocacy for this. Um, it, we need to find out a way to get an accessible smartphone in the hands of people. If it's through the lifeline, which is the mobile phone. Um, but mm -hmm. hearing y'all talk about how, how great of a tool this can be. And I know Jeff, you're a huge advocate, uh, for, for, for or should say proponent for, uh, you know, the, the tools that, that help you create a lifestyle change because yeah. you're now going to be running marathons or you're training for yeah. marathons. I mean, yep. You just didn't get the surgery and sit on a couch and say, okay, I'll lose 150 pounds. I mean, you've worked. Oh, no, I couldn't have done it if I didn't chair. There was a last year. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, you know, the, the way that if we can get these technologies in the hand, so that's four. Um, and then I think, Brian, were you alluding to something else as well? I think maybe that well, we were just sort of bouncing around. But right, just it's, it's important that, uh, and, and in Chris's draft, it does mention this, but it needs to be something the individual is comfortable with. You right. should not have to be a superstar no. or wealthy uh, in order to manage this part of your life. That's correct. It's your interface to be a superstar experience. Mm -hmm. It's really not, not accessible for the blind, but just, yeah. Kind right. of experience for people. I, right. For example, the Freestyle Libre system comes yeah. with a meter, but the meter is not accessible. Exactly. And it would, you know, and, and they could add speech to that very inexpensively. You know, I mean, a, a, a chip that could allow you to have, you know, voice prompts on it or, or, or speak uh, results would be very inexpensive to, to add to a device such as that. Um, so, you know, this is where we need to push the, the federal government to mandate that these devices are accessible. Those should not be a glucometer on the market today that's not, you know, accessible. Yeah. Another, should be. If federal dollars are being spent on it, like Medicare and Medicaid are being spent for these devices, they should right, be exactly. And on, well, right, right now, and, I'm required by my insurer to pay the full price of my Libre. Yeah. It's not that's, covered by my insurance. That's, that's, that, that's ridiculous. Because they won't pay for it unless I am an insulin-dependent right. diabetic. Sure. Yeah, yeah. They will not yeah. pay for it until I'm an insulin-dependent diabetic. So in other words, I'm being punished for doing the right thing. Yep. So yep. what I'd like to do now is, is the, the three of us here, um, let's hear what people I know, have to say. talk for hours, but let's hear what people in the audience, we've got 25, 30 or so folks out there. 
Um, what are other areas that are important to you that you think are critical that we take into consideration? Because um, this is going to be, we talk about the Get Up and Get Moving campaign. A huge part of this campaign is public awareness to, yep. uh, you know, um, to the medical professions, to people in our community that need to know, you know, folks that create food and apps and everything, you know, the, the, mm -hmm. the whole space of our life, quality of life, people. Tony, um, can I mention something that ACB uh, DA is planning for the convention? Please do. Yes, yeah, it's a great time for that. While, while yeah. folks get queued up, just real quick to our host. So, so we'll be asking people to raise your hands. And if you can think of things that are also, we haven't mentioned yet, that you think are critical in taking back our health. Um, and you know, specifically, if you are a person with diabetes, uh, that, raise your hand and we'll get to you as quick as we can. We'll kind of try to go through the list. But yeah, talk about the summer, Jeff. Sure. So I'm on the board of ACBDA and we started meeting to talk about the programming that we wanted to do this year. And I, I came up with a proposal of, hey, you know, let's be really, really bold here and come up with a week of diabetes education uh, seminars. In other words, you know, the same type of training that you would get if you were to actually go to, you know, a hospital and get one or two days of diabetes education, you know, with a diabetes educator and a nutritionist and exercise and, you know, all these principles of health. And so we are planning that it's going to be a, a, a multi-day event. I think it's scheduled for three days right now that, that will uh, take about five to six hours per day. And, we're pretty excited about it. We're, we're, we're planning it out now and we're, we're getting, you know, industry experts to, to come help us with that. So that it's just, just not us talking about it, but we, we really think this is going to be something that we'll be able to share out to the community that will have long lasting use by the community for years to come um, and allow people to also engage with these experts, to ask questions, uh, get, get, uh, answers to, to things that people may have been wondering about for either whether you're new, newly diagnosed, you don't have diabetes, or if you've been a diabetic for, you know, 50 years, it doesn't matter. We're going to be there for you to be able to, to learn and uh, get your questions answered. So we're really, really excited about it. We'll have more to share out uh, later this year, but stay tuned. It's, it's going to be a pretty uh, significant event. It's going to be on the cusp of something like the transportation works shop, you know, kind of sort of large a summit, scale. If you will, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to be huge. Excellent. So you're, you're looking at, I think we're going to have a total of what, what almost 20 hours of content uh, overall throughout wow. the convention. Yeah, so uh, if you include, you know, the business meeting and, and yeah. other, other things. So yeah, we're, we're a lot of stuff going on. Well, let's, let's see. Are any hands raised to host it all? Um, oh, yes. Have you have oh, lots well. of hands. Well, let's try to go. And we can just ask people to try to be brief. So we have 10 minutes left. Um, we'll try to go through as many as we can. So if you can just list your uh, what you think is a key critical as well. So we can get it on the record because this meeting is being recorded. Go okay, Al Alice, you're first. Hey, Alice. Can you hear me? Okay. Hey, yeah, you're yes. wonderful. Thanks. One of them would be, um, and, and Brian kind of alluded to it, is I know every time I've been sent like to the nutritionist or anybody, they want to hand me all the material that's out by the ADA and it's all in print and they say there's no other format available for it. And that's as they even update stuff. And so I think it's really important that the ADA, I mean, their whole purpose is to help with diabetes. 
there have been blind people forever. And I don't understand why we can't get access to that stuff. I was lucky enough that when I went to the hospital and I walked in and she seen my guide dog, she knew right away. She wasn't sure what to do for me, but mm-hmm. with talking, she was able to go ahead and put everything, you know, into an email and send it to me. Right. My second thing would be, we talk, we're talking and we're in the right direction and trying to get exercise equipment available, but we've talked about gyms and, and home equipment. But the other important thing is I, I was refused to go to the Y here, and even though I have silver sneakers because they just didn't know how to deal with me and they needed a volunteer to come work with me, even though I told them I was quite capable. So I ended up actually, my doctor wrote me a script to go to the rehab um, center at the hospital, the cardio and um, pulmonary rehab so I could do exercise. But there again, even, and the, you know, they were real good at trying to figure out a way that I could use my equipment and do the mm-hmm. equipment. But we need to make sure that even in the hospitals where people go to rehab and stuff, we're able to access the equipment that we need to be able to, to, you know, stick to our regimen. You know, this Alex, is a thank big, you so this is a big problem. Um, and it's, it's an area that, again, needs some mandates, especially for equipment that is purchased for, you know, government. Uh, you know, for, exa- for example, I bet you if you were to go to the Senate building uh, where they have a gym and you were to go down there, I bet you that all of the equipment in that building is not accessible. Um, no. Now, I don't know that for sure because I haven't been to the Senate gym. It's but, not. <laughs> but, okay, right. So that's exactly my point, right? Yeah. So. We need to be pushing for that so that so that if there is a blind senator or when there will be that that individual will have that level of access. And and really, this needs to be pushed so that the entire industry does this. We know that um, there's been some great work uh, done by Peloton. Mm -hmm. But again, now you're purchasing, you know, really high end equipment to be able to have equal and equitable access. And I don't think that's equal and equitable. Right. So. You know, this is this is really really important stuff. Good and good points, Alice. And we we also may have well uh, had some breakthroughs um, in in working with the AD uh, American Diabetic uh, ADA. Libby, go ahead. Hey, Libby. Hi, guys. Um, hey, this hi. Is the, hi, Chris and and Jeff and uh, Brian um, and Lucy. This is wonderful. Uh, I'm I'm calling from Fresno. Um, I. I haven't gotten in a while because I guess the pandemic's messed up, but I have been reading diabetic forecast for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And I love the articles and the recipes, but there are very few articles about blindness and diabetes. It's like they blow us off and they've been doing this for years. What can we do as an organization to kind of light a fire uh, in their belly to say, look, you guys, we're a significant population of diabetics and we should, our voices should be heard in your, uh, in your publication. Oh, that's uh, your, that's I, the whole get up and get moving campaign. That's one of our main goals. Right. And, 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 Libby, Libby, we've had a problem. If you want to talk about the doctors least likely to help you with the next step in your life as a person losing your vision, Go talk to an ophthalmologist. Oh, tell me about it, darling. So oh, this yeah. is the same thing oh, yeah. with diabetes. They don't want to look at what they consider the dark side. No, because they them. because when they do, you know, they think of themselves as failures because well, I couldn't save this person's vision. 
And, you know, when I go to my doctor, uh, it's like, we're just trying to keep what little I got in one eye. And, you know, it's just, it's crazy. And so it's, uh, it's, it's part of the problem of the culture of the medical system. Yes. And how we educate doctors. So this education, as I said earlier, so much of it is educating the healthcare professionals yes. about what's possible and what they should be advocating for. Not just us, the consumer, but yep. the provider ought to be um, doing this as well. Who else do we have with hands raised? All right, Andy, you should be able Go to ahead, talk. Andy. Hi, I'm Andy Arvidsson. I'm from Washington Council of the Blind, so I'm pretty familiar with Jeff, but I've been taking insulin since January 27th, 1959, and I've been on a pump for a while. I want to know when they're going to make pumps accessible so that a blind person can actually use them. Absolutely. Again, this is another area where, you know, not only is this one important, but this is life. I mean, I mean this is life and death kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So uh, you're exactly right. This is, this is, again, another area where, you know, uh, if if a pump is being purchased, uh, it it's 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 has to be accessible. Yeah, um, more durable medical goods that we need to make sure is without important. a question. Yeah, and and it has to be almost like voting rights. You know, you have to be able to do it independently, right. verifiably, and privately. You never know if you're going to be alone and something happens. Yeah, absolutely. And quite honestly, my medical needs are my business. Yeah. Not somebody else's business in general. I love my family members, but I not only would like to be able to have my medical business be private, I also don't want it to be a burden on others. Right. If well, that's exactly right. If goes awry, yeah. Yeah. I want them to know it wasn't their fault right. because they didn't do anything. Right, Lucy, who else do we have? Phone number ending in 613. Go ahead. Thanks, Lucy. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hi, Brian. This is Jane Perry from Falmouth, Massachusetts. I'm Kate. Oh, we, did we, oh, oh, we just lose? Oh, oh, she's there. there. Oh, she's here. Jane, oh, Jane Perry has <laughs> recently rejoined the Bay State Council. Oh, wonderful. I'm excited. Did. Welcome back to Bay State. And I real did, quick did, so we can get others in. Go ahead, Jane. And also, I want to say I just joined Diabetes in Action. And um, I am a, a type 2 diabetic older in life. Um, I also have stage 4 renal disease. But my three things that I would like to see us work on is awareness to not only the general public, but to our aging population in our senior centers and our elder services people. I don't know if they have those in the other states, but we have elder services and elders affairs in um, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. I think awareness and communication. And I look forward to the um, conference in July. But I also want to give two shout outs to Diabetes in Action. If you have not joined, please, 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 please join. I have met so many new friends. I've learned so much in the last three weeks. And I was on Saturday's call. And the other thing, too, is I have a wackadoodle syndrome of my eye disease. It's called Barty Beetle syndrome. And I've been overweight all my life. But I've just put new changes in my life as of December 21st. And if anybody has Barty Beetle syndrome out there, Please, 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 please contact me through Brian or through the Diabetics in Action con uh, link because we have help out there for you people with All right. overweight. Thank you very thank much. Thank you so much, Jane. Thanks, and, and thanks for the shout-outs. All right, Lucy, who else we got? All right, 
Deb Kirk Lewis, go ahead. Hi there. So, yeah. So, yeah, that's right. So, uh, my husband is a type two diabetes, and I could talk a long time about what that was like for us because it happened right as COVID was coming in. So, that created some additional challenges. But the one I want to really mention here right now, you you've talked about this, but I didn't really hear it in your official points. And that is about the accessibility of medications. Um, we had to choose. We literally had to choose um, whether to have accessible medications or have the pharmacy that delivers. And we had to choose the pharmacy that delivers or we wouldn't have had the medications at all. So um, um, part of the issue with having the pharmacy with the accessible medications even is that they only do it about half the time. I mean, I have to keep on them. But but aside from that, because we do not have um, national legislation, we've been working on it in our state and many states have, but even when they do, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of hit and miss. And um, because we do not have a national requirement that medications be accessible, um, we had to choose um, to not have accessible medication over getting them to come to our house at all. Mm. I just think that's an unacceptable place to be. It's especially unacceptable when you do have somebody who has a severe medical condition, type two diabetes. So, um, you know, um, I, I was um, pretty, pretty stressed about that. Um, The other thing I'll just say very quickly, we were, um, I I can't emphasize also enough the whole issue, of course, around equipment, Um, again, because he's actually now controlled with some pretty high-end medication, uh, we're not eligible for the uh, monitors that are accessible or any of that. And because we live in a small town until COVID got uh, in heat, um, they actually sent someone over about once a week to, to take his readings because um, he isn't able to use the Prodigy. And even with that data, firm data, that he's not able to use the, the Prodigy as an accessible alternative, insurance still would not do it. Um, right now, it doesn't matter, but it will matter probably again. And um, But the issue of the medications, um, I just think is absolutely critical and needs to be identified as a separate item. Well, thank you, Devin. Thanks for sharing that. And I think we have time for one more before our panel ends, and I have to jump back on for the main panel. Um, hey, Deb Kokel. Hey, Deb. Hi. Access to Prodigy Voice was part of my discussion, um, and my insurance's unwillingness to provide one for a while. Um, I'd had one, and it quit working. And, but that's, it finally got resolved. But I um, also, we were talking about visual impairment, blindness being so undiscussed in mainstream diabetes magazines. And again, I think that's because it's the most feared disability. When I took my disability awareness classes through the state of California, when people were asked what their least wanted disability was, it was blindness. Uh, It's a a serious situation. By the way, we've been talking about Prodigy and it really was very important early on with me. But one of the things that we also need to make sure is that anything that we get that's accessible has to be at least as accurate as those devices that are out in the market that are inaccessible to us. It turns out that the results are significantly less accurate than 
more commonly used inaccessible monitors. So we really have to insist in whatever we do uh, that it be of equal accuracy as well as accessibility. Well said, Brian. And thank you, Deb, as well. And thanks to everybody. Um, be sure to sign up if you can. That's a heck of, a, of an opportunity this summer for the Diabetics in Action uh, sessions that they'll be having. Um, you can email advocacy at acb.org, advocacy at acb.org. If any of your thoughts or concerns weren't echoed here today, please echo them because Clark checks that regularly as well as Swatha, who's now Claire Stanley's replacement that'll be joining us on Monday. And they'll be getting up to speed on everything we've talked about here today. And we'll be adding to that list and probably having some town halls through the ACB community uh, for more feedback as we put this together for what's going to be a significant public awareness push. So Brian and Jeff, thank you both so much. I really appreciate you taking time out.